Really good to be uh, together this morning. My name's Luke. I'm one of the leaders here um, at Life Church. Uh, if this is your first time or one of your first times, particularly warm welcome uh, to you. We're so pleased uh, you're with us and hope you feel uh, at home this morning. Uh, we are, as a church, we're reading, we go through the Bible. Uh, seeing what God says to us through the Bible. And a few weeks ago, we started looking at the letter to the Ephesians. It's one of the books of the Bible. Um, Last week, uh, Phil really wonderfully started chapter two for us. And he shared some wonderful truths that the first half of chapter two talk about. They talked about uh, that we were dead in our sins, that each one of us was unable to come to God by ourselves. And yet in Christ, he made us Alive. It was by grace we have been saved through faith. He told us these wonderful truths that we read in Ephesians 2 and we were encouraged to know that even now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Amazing things we looked at last week. Totally, totally amazing. But we must be quite careful how we read things like this because in our modern Western worldview, it can be easy for us to individualise the promises of God. Ephesians 1 verse 3 starts by saying, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's easy to sometimes think, well, that's just for me to enjoy on a little island. Thank God for the rest of chapter 2. Actually, thank God for the rest of the letter to the Ephesians. Because what we will see is that this is not a gospel which is me-centred but it's wonderfully something that Jesus has brought us, caught us up into, which is much bigger than any one of us by ourselves. Because what we'll see in our passage this morning is Christ by his blood has won for himself a people made up of all sorts, a bit like us, to be to his praise. So if you have a Bible um, or otherwise we'll follow it on our screens, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading from the NIV uh, and we'll be reading from verse uh, 11 to the end of the chapter. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling into which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, as we um, read and uh, ponder these words, we pray by your spirit you would speak to us. Pray, Father God, that each one of us does not leave here the same as we came, but that individually and even more as a community, we will be changed to be more and more like Jesus, that you would shape our hearts, you would encourage, convict and call us to yourself and that you would bless us as we hear these words today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No one likes to be excluded, do they? I, I, I was never good at football. Uh, when you're a young lad in school, that's a bit of a problem because everyone plays football. Uh, and so I remember the feeling which many of you would have felt when you are lining up against the wall and the two captains who are amazing at football, they're going through picking. I want him, I want her, I want them. And it gets further and further along and you realise, I'm going to be last, aren't I? No one likes to be excluded, do they? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've overheard a conversation and you think, oh, they had fun last night. That sounds, like, that sounds like a good party, but I didn't get an invite. No one likes to be excluded. And the original hearers of this letter knew exactly what it was like to be excluded. Verse 11 says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles which means non-Jewish, we'll go into that in a second. You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. It's really helpful to sometimes try and understand a bit of the context of what we read in the Bible, because as we read a letter to the Ephesians, we are reading a document written 2,000 years ago by Paul to the church in Ephesus, uh, and we're reading uh, a, about a community that lived halfway around the world. So Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. That's not England. That's modern-day Turkey. And this is 2,000 years ago. And so Paul, who wrote this letter, as he was encouraging the church, he was writing at a time where the Jewish people and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were totally and utterly divided. There was huge historic hostility between them. It's the kind of thing where we look at many of the great divisions and horrible wars going on in the world now and you think actually there, there are historic things that have been going on in that division. And we, we go back 2,000 years to this time where Paul was writing in Ephesus. And that was true then. The Jewish people and the Gentiles, they did not mix. They had hostility between them. We even read, uh, some of you who have been part of the church for a while, we've been looking at the book of Acts at the first half of the year and we will have picked up some of this awkwardness in the past years. Acts 10, uh, Peter is going to a Roman centurion's house, a non-Jew, a Gentile, and he says to them, he's quite uncomfortable with it, God does a work there, but he's quite uncomfortable and he says in Acts 10, 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And so our original hearers, the original hearers of this letter, knew what it was to be excluded. They knew full well what it was to not be part of the people. Do you know what it is like to be left out? To be told, I'm sorry, but you're just not quite what we're looking for. Or, oh, actually, I'd, 
Why would I invite you? It is a horrible thing, the pain of being an outsider. And if we're honest, the Jewish people weren't just excluded from some party. Uh, sorry, the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't just excluded from, from a few parties or being part of the football team. We read that they were cut off from the people of God. Verse 12, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The Jewish people of the Old Testament, they'd been chosen by God. It's a beautiful story, not of people who deserve God's love or who have earned it, but if you look at the story of the Israelites, God graciously chose them. Out of love, he brought them to be his people. And yet for the Gentiles, they knew that they weren't part of that. They were excluded. And it's important as we start looking at a passage like this that we realise that each one of us is just the same as the original Gentile hearers of this letter. That without Jesus, actually, we cannot hold on to the promises of God. Without Jesus, we have no right to claim them for ourselves. Without Jesus, we have no right to come to God. And without Jesus, we have no part of the community he's building. Without Jesus, we are without hope, as Paul puts it. Separate from God's people, separate from God, and excluded. Thank God the passage didn't end there. But it is only when we understand the deep reality of our exclusion that we start to realise how wonderful the work of Jesus that brought us in is. So the passage continues. Verse 13 says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, that's Jew and Gentile, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, we're going to unpack this for ourselves, but, but the original Gentile readers would not have been able to believe there is. Yes, there were hints throughout the Old Testament that God would bless all nations. Actually, Sarah shared one earlier from Psalm 117 that all nations would praise him. But the idea that the Gentiles would be included on an equal footing with the people of God, that wasn't to be imagined. That was not to be imagined. And yet, here is Paul declaring that in Christ, it's no longer the law that brings us to God as the Jewish people had, but he is making a new humanity, Jew and Gentile, who are brought together in only one thing, the cross of Jesus. This would have been incredible good news to the original hearers. And let me tell you, it is incredibly good news to us today as well. Jesus has made us one. You see, it is very good news for each of us individually. We live in a world where, if we're honest, one of the main markers of our society right now, especially in the modern West, is a culture of loneliness and isolation. 
I think it's striking in uh, a world where actually not just the younger generation, but actually many of us now know what social media uh, is as part of our daily lives, the ubiquity of digital connectivity. And yet we come to a time like the pandemic, we, we, we're told that we're, we've never been more connected, and yet when we have a force to stay in our homes with no contact with anyone apart from those we live with, we suddenly realise these digital connections are more vapid and empty than we ever thought. Many of us start to realise, actually, these things that are promising us connection are not enough. And we live with heartbreakingly high rates of loneliness and depression, and sadly, all too often, suicide. That is a marker of our society, this modern age that we live in. But as we come to this passage, for those of us who know what it is to feel excluded, to feel alone and isolated, there is good news. Verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You, maybe sitting in this room, knowing you're surrounded by about 100 people, yet you have never felt more isolated. Jesus, by his blood, wants to say to you, you can be brought near. That is what my blood achieved, that you can come near to me. Verse 17 says, he came and preached to those who are far off. He came. Jesus looked at the world and he didn't think, gosh, they're broken people, but I'll send an angel. Or I'll send someone else to do it. No, Jesus himself, Christ himself, the eternal son of God came. And so when the offer to come close to God is made to you this morning, I tell you it's not just anyone opening the door. Jesus Christ stands there himself and welcomes you home. You who are far can be near in the blood of Christ. And when he calls us home, he doesn't call us to this big, dusty mansion where we wrestle around in. And as Christians, we just feel as lonely and as isolated as we did before we were Christians. No, that's not the promise of the gospel. That's not what we're meant to be as church. As he calls us home, the joy of being included isn't simply that we're no longer excluded. The joy is that we are brought into a beautiful, life-giving community, the church. This is what Christ as ordained. You see, society is meant to be a beautiful thing. It's meant to be a, a wonderful thing. And in many ways it is. We look at the world around us and secular society does lots of goods. But I've noticed some funny quirks about it. Uh, who enjoys uh, a takeaway? Anyone a Friday night takeaway? We've got a few people who are being very honest at the back. But this side are being like, well, I don't want to <laughs> disclose my eating habits to you. Um, Who's ever done Uber Eats or Deliveroo? I've, I've only moved to Peterborough in January, so I don't know all the services here. Okay, Jane's done it. Well done, Jane. Um, we've, we've been doing, you know, takeaway for years, and, and more recently, we have food accessible to us at the click of a button. It's wonderful. It's amazing. But I think it's indicative of the way we sometimes think about society. Sometimes we think that social structures exist so we can meet our own personal needs. Or we have particular desires that, we can be that can be fulfilled by the structures around us at the press of a button. You see, in the age of Uber Eats, we often forget that when we click that button, it was probably a young man who was paid pennies to get on the electric bike, which he probably had to buy himself, to drive across Peterborough and deliver our food. Or that there was a chef who cooked it for us. 
or a HGV driver who transported the ingredients from a farm who maybe the farmer has been the third or fourth generation in her family producing ingredients. We forget that behind the quick-click conveniences of our age, there are people. We forget that behind these things that serve our purposes, there are all these people. It must not be so in the church. It must not be so. The church is not first and foremost about a community who will serve my purposes. But to be included in the church is to be brought into something bigger than ourselves. To be caught up into a part of his new humanity. And you see, we live in a world which says the most important thing is what it is for me to be fulfilled, for my desires to be met. But I tell you, that Jesus came and told us the greatest way to fulfill our desires is to actually look without ourselves and say, no, my life isn't for my own personal pleasure, but it's for the glory of God. You see, to be brought into the church, to be brought into the community of God's people is to be brought into a family whose head is one, who gave his own life for us. We are marked out as a people who are no longer inward looking, although we all were, but who now look out as our Lord and our Saviour did. And so we, the church, as those who know how precious and costly it is to be included, surely it makes sense that we are chief among the people who welcome chief among those who include, that there is now nothing which divides us if Christ unites us. Verse 19 says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see, as a people, we are no longer those who are excluded or even those on the fringe. I remember my, my good friend, uh, when I worked as an engineer in Cambridge, talked me through the process. He was Sri Lankan. He talked me through the process of becoming a citizen here. And what I want to tell you this morning is as people in the community of God, we are not on temporary visas with him. We don't even have indefinite leave to remain. No, as believers, we are full citizens into his community. We have all the rights and privileges of what he has done for us. As chapter one, verse three says, every spiritual blessing is given to us in Christ. That's what it means to be in the community, to know our Father's love in this place. And do you know what's more amazing? Paul, in the wonderful way he mixes metaphors, he, he trips from talking about being citizens to very quickly saying, no, we are part of the household of God. We are brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters in the Father's house. What wonderful truth. And as those who know what it is to be included, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what it is to be included. Doesn't it just make sense that we are the people who include others? That we are the people who reach out to our, particularly first and foremost, our brothers and sisters in the church, but also that spills out to around us. It just makes sense. But if we're honest, it's easier said than done. Now, I won't make you say these things out loud because each one of us knows in our hearts that there are certain people in the church family that if we're honest with ourselves, we avoid. It is easy for things to get in the way of the unity that Jesus has won for us. Maybe there are things that really jar with us about other people in the church. Maybe it's how they vote. Maybe it's how they raise their kids. Maybe it's how they openly struggle with particular issues or sins. 
Sometimes it's subtler than that. In a city with a multitude of ages and life stages and a multitude of races and cultures, nations and backgrounds. We live in a place where there is a lot of beautiful diversity and difference. And yet, if we're honest, sometimes we can say, that person's different to me and I want to connect with them, but I don't really know where to start. What do I have in common? Where where do I start the conversation? And to avoid the awkwardness or that kind of effort to overcome the awkwardness, we put it off. And we think, maybe maybe I'll connect with that person another week. It's this hard stuff. It's this hard stuff. The world is wrestling with how are you united and so are we as the church. And one of the ways the world looks at uniting us is um, tolerance. Look, you do your thing over there, I'll do my thing over here, and as long as we don't offend one another, let's just get on with our lives. Can I just say, as Christians, isn't that offensive? We are not those who tolerate others. We're those who love others, who give ourselves for others as Christ gave himself for us. No, we are the ones who are not marked by tolerance, but who know verses like verse 16 in our passage. That in one body, Jesus reconciled Jew and Gentile, the most divided people there were. Jesus reconciled Jew and Gentile to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through Jesus, verse 18, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. No, we come to the cross and we say, Lord, would you shape our hearts that we might be those who are outward and love others? I think particularly those of us who are in majority context in this, in this church and in the city, particularly those of us who are white and who are British, we need to be particularly shaped and changed by this. Because the reality is if we are not proactive to include those who are in minority, we tend to default to exclude. And so it's important that each one of us comes to the cross and says, actually, if Christ has united us, what should there be? that can divide us. In Jesus, we are marked by his blood and by his spirit. And he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Yes, between Jew and Gentile. But that is the first of every division there is. Actually, Paul addresses that because that was the greatest division. And so that is just as true for everything that divides us now. In Christ, we have been made one. And so as we end, I want to share one more thing. Because Jesus has made us one. That's what he accomplished on the cross. And that is good news for us individually, especially those of us who feel excluded. And that is good news for us corporately as it shapes our hearts to say we are those who are outwards and include one another, who love our brothers and sisters of primary, as primary importance. But more than that, Jesus made us one to show how wonderful and glorious he is. Verse 19 to the end. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. I hear this. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. When we come together, a people united despite our differences, one in Christ, we are built into something profound. 
We are built into the place where we can truly worship God. You see, as we come together, even this morning, we worship God, yes, through our singing, but more than that, through our very acts of togetherness, we glorify God. Because we are built into a temple and it is in our unity, our building together, that we worship him. And it's precisely in our unity which welcomes God. Verse 22, the very final verse. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'll end on this. Over the last couple of weeks, most of us have seen lots of images of the queen's coffin, haven't we? She lay in state for many days. And what struck me is even in the queen's death, she was surrounded by a majestic hall. There was her priceless crown placed on the coffin. And everywhere the coffin processed, there were military honours like hundreds and hundreds of military people marching. And there is a sense that for someone that majestic, from an earthly perspective, that glorious, it was only fitting that she would be surrounded by all of this majesty. That's, that's the idea behind it. When, when you have someone that honoured, they've got to be in a fitting surrounding. It wouldn't make sense for them to be in a small hall. That's the idea behind it. And yet verse 22 tells us, In him, you're being built together to become a dwelling for God by his spirit. Do you realize when God looks at us, a people who say, I'm going to choose to reconcile, to not harbor resentment or bitterness, but to restore friendship, not to avoid, but to include. When God looks at us, a people who, despite all odds, say Christ has united us so we cannot be divided, he sees a dazzling, beautiful, suitable and fitting dwelling place for his spirit to be. It's precisely in our unity that God looks at us and says that is an appropriate place for my majesty to dwell by the spirit. If you know the pictures of the Old Testament temples, you will know it was adorned with gold and silver and precious stones. God looks at us when we are united and says there is no more fitting place for my spirit to be than the people I have won for myself through Christ and the cross and who are now brought together as one. Christ has made us one. And as his people, we cherish and we champion that unity. And as we head into the rest of the letter to the Ephesians, we will see chapter after chapter which builds on this foundation calling us uh, to change the way we live together in humility and forgiveness and encouragement. But most wonderfully, we start here by saying in our unity, we can become a people who welcome and worship the only one who made it possible to break down every barrier. And in his body, Jesus Christ made us one. What a wonderful truth that we who know Jesus living as we end i feel like god has a couple of people a couple of things that he wants to say to us as a people as a response i think the first is for each of us to come to him and examine our hearts actually i don't i don't know if the band want to if they're still here you can play away in the background it helps sometimes to resolve the silence and the awkwardness. Um, 
I feel like God has a couple of things to say. Firstly, yeah, each one of us, I think, uh, if we're honest, they, we do have those people who we avoid. That's true of me as it is true of you. And so I think I would love to just invite space to say to the Lord, are there people maybe in general I'm struggling with or maybe specific relationships which I know I haven't dealt with to just let God speak to us about that? The answer is repentance. That's what the Bible teaches us. We say, Lord, I've been living this way, but I realize now that that's not your way. So I'm gonna turn my thinking and therefore my actions back to you. But secondly, I feel there are some people here who probably know in their hearts, I feel like I do not belong. Maybe that's at this church particularly. Maybe that's with God in general. And I just pray that as we just give a couple of minutes, why don't, why don't we stand together actually? If you're able to and would like to, no one has to, but um, we'll stand together uh, if we'd like to um, as Gary plays. And we'll just spend a moment saying, letting God speak to us because the truth is, if we feel that, the truth is actually in Jesus, no one else, no one else but Jesus. In Jesus, those of us who are far off in his blood have been brought near. Those of us who were far away, he came and preached peace. So we're just gonna spend uh, a few minutes just as we end, letting God speak to our hearts. We'll end the service and then a few of us will just be around to pray. You might wanna pray with someone you came with. You might wanna pray with um, me or someone else who's hanging around at the front. Um, but let's just spend a moment now to let God speak to us about some of the things he's been saying.